All right, welcome to the first episode of Golf.com's Off Course with Claude Harmon podcast. Obviously, I'm Claude Harmon, and we've got a podcast. I uh, certainly didn't think I'd be doing something like this, but during the lockdown last year, did a bunch of Instagram lives, and we had a bunch of cool guests on, and so we said, why not turn it into a podcast? And so this is what we've got. Uh, we're going to have people from pretty much every corner of the globe, people from all different uh, backgrounds, obviously a lot of people from the golf space in the coming weeks. Trevor Immelman, former Masters champion, is going to come on and talk golf. My dad, Butch Harmon, obviously always has great takes um, and getting their opinions on all things golf will be really interesting for everyone to hear. Mike Wilbon, one of the most respected sports journalists in the country, he's going to come on and talk about his journey to golf, which actually came quite late for him. And then, believe it or not, actors. Jamie Dornan, one of the hottest actors, hottest um, literally and figuratively, um, talking about he's a golf junkie. He's always sending me golf swings and stuff. But I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, because obviously I'm very lucky that I get to meet a lot of, uh, of people that love golf and are in different kind of walks of life. And it's always interesting to listen to kind of the importance of golf in their life, how they got started, what they love about the game, what they don't love about the game. We're kicking things off with Mel Reed, LPGA superstar, uh, certainly one of the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, I get to spend a lot of time with her both on and off the golf course. And to me, she's one of the most authentic and genuine people that you could ever meet. Uh, she's going to be playing this week at the Women's U.S. Open out at the famed Olympic Golf Club. Such an amazing golf course. So many great champions have, have come out of there. The weather always plays a huge part out in San Francisco. Um, the burger dogs got to have a burger dog when you're out there at the Olympic club. And it'll be great to see how all of the players this week tackle that golf course. Um, talking to Mel, she thinks even par could win. I think every time the USGA puts on a US open, they want even par to win. And then on the men's side, the PGA tour this week heads to, uh, the Memorial, another iconic, um, golf course, mainly because it's the kind of the house that Jack Nicklaus built, but completely redesigned the golf course this year. So we are going to see a redesigned Memorial, always one of the ball striking venues on the PGA tour. So with all of the changes, I think almost, I think close to 200 yards have been added. They rebuilt every green, every bunker, every tee. Some of the holes are completely redesigned. Uh, I think the fifth hole, the par five, completely redesigned that one. So it'll be very interesting to see that. So a um, lot of stuff going on in the golf world. But I think having Mel as the first guest, I think you'll get a good flavor for kind of who she is as a person. And uh, she's got a lot to say and doesn't hold back and is always very honest and open. At the end of each episode, we're going to try and get to some of your questions. So check out my social because you'll be able to ask questions in the coming weeks. And maybe we can help you with your game, talk to you about different things um, and see if we can help you improve, maybe make things a little bit clearer for you. But uh, Mel Reed. Sit back and enjoy it. This is Off Course with Claude Harmon. One of my favorite people in golf, Mel Reed. Mel, uh, first question, are you hungover? <laughs> um, yeah, my caddy came in last night. So we we tried to stay up to beat the jet lag. We've just been back from Singapore and we obviously took it too far as usual. So I am slightly worse for wear this morning. Well, this afternoon, yeah. You and Des have a very interesting relationship. Um, I've only been around the two of you once and, um, you know, I, I was hungover the next day and um, it's always fun when you two get together. 
how did you two uh, meet up as a as a team and and what's he like as a caddy? Is he any good or do you just like him as a person? <laughs> um, he's literally in the next room, so he's probably listening. <laughs> but um, so I've got to be nice about him. But there he's. We were good friends before. Um, obviously, you know what it's like on tour when people switch caddies, players switch caddies quite often, and um, it just came about the opportunity for us to work together a couple of years ago, and we we took it and. He's been one of the best things that I've ever done because, um, you know, and a caddy a is so important and Des is one of my best mates. And I think that that's very important that you get on with your caddy. You spend more time with them than you actually do your partner. So um, that's, that's also very, very key. And yeah, you wouldn't believe it. I call him the a golden retriever puppy. He's always there to please. But when we're actually on the golf course, he's actually quite serious. He's actually he knows what he's doing, knows what he's talking about. So he's, yeah, he's been a great asset to the team. And yeah, he's a good boy. When you got your first um, LPGA win in 2020 last fall, how much of a role did Des play in that kind of getting you to that point, but also on Sunday, because I watched, I was sitting there and um, watching the interaction. He, you know, I like his kind of demeanor on the course to where he, you kind of ask him questions. He brings the bag over. He kind of talks you through. Um, was he someone down the stretch that you were able to lean on? hundred um, percent. I knew that he knew the situation the whole time. I didn't particularly I knew that I was in the lead but I didn't really know by how many um so yeah he just kind of subtly made me aware of what we needed to do that we didn't need to push it that we just needed to you know just hit greens regulation let's just make it easy on ourselves and yeah he was great I mean we came off two bogeys um six and seven and then he said to me on the tee like we had a bit of a weight on eight tee which is quite a difficult tee shot and he said to me he says um you know these two girls are scared to win and you're not. And that was kind of the kick that I, or incentive that I kind of wanted. Um, so yeah, I mean, he just says the right thing at the right time. It was just, uh, yeah, he definitely, yeah, he was just amazing that whole Sunday and, and very appreciative of him. How does that work? Because I'm obviously in the same role that Des is and working with players, you're trying to figure out, you know, what to say, what not to say. When, so when, 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 a, when a caddy or says something to you and you're on the course in the heat of the battle, you know, it's, it's always a dicey thing, right? It can, it can go the other way because I'm always trying to figure out what I can say before players go out. And I remember years ago when I was working with Brooks Kepka and, and, he, and he told me, listen, I don't need you to motivate me, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because he said, so before I go out and play, he's like, if I'm not motivated at that point to go try and do my best, and especially if it's, I've got a chance to win, he said, listen, I don't want you to kind of be the rah-rah guy and it's always that fine line of, of knowing, you know, for those of us that are part of, you know, the team of players, when to say something, when not to say something. My dad always tells me that he thinks one of the most important things you can learn as, as, a, as, a, as a coach, but I also think as a caddy is it's what you don't say sometimes mm -hmm. that means a lot because you say the wrong thing at the wrong time and it just all goes to shit, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think that that's important as well from a player communication. I think that that's what we have such a good relationship at is that I will communicate with him and be like, listen, Des, I don't need this from you today. Like I'm pretty like, even on the golf course, like I pretty much am in control of it. He gives me the information that I'm in control of it. He doesn't, if I'm not started off great, he doesn't give me a pep talk. That doesn't work with me. Like he'll just be like, let's just see if we can get this back to even. Let's just see if we get this, like little things like that um, kind of trigger me instead of, oh, it's okay, like, no problem, you know. And I think that's what he does such a good job at is he knows when to stay quiet. And like you said, like, I've had caddies in the past that have over-talked and tried to kind of 
get in my space a little bit, whereas sometimes you just need to, to figure out on your own. And that's what I think Des is very, very good at. So you win the uh, Rookie of the Year on the Ladies European Tour 2008. You win your first tournament in Turkey, I believe, 2010. Yeah. And then 10 years later, you finally get a breakthrough win on the LPJ Tour. And one of my favorite quotes that, I mean, you've got loads of quotes. I mean, you're a quote machine, but you said you always feel like you've been an overnight success for the last 15 years. Yeah. When you look at the player and the person you were when you started playing on the European Tour in 2008, you get your first win. And then 10 years later, how have you changed as a player and how have you changed as a person? Uh, completely different, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I think that I was back then, I, I technically was okay, but I was a little bit loose. I feel like I'm now much more techni technically. Um, sound player i think that my short game my putting and everything is is a lot 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 more sound than when i first came out on tour and from a personality standpoint i mean it's night and day um as you do when you grow up you know I, you go through experiences in life and they change you and they mature you and you you know it's just all part of the journey and um you know i was very naive i think when i first came out i i kind of traveled the world on my own and thought it was great and then you know life gets in the way sometimes and um things happen and yeah, now I think that I'm, I just know what works for me now as well. I think that it's very easy when you first come out on tour, like you want to be the best you can be so quickly that you almost like look around and see like little shortcuts that you can take and, and things like that. Whereas I feel like now I just, you know, I'm very comfortable in what I'm doing. I know how to prepare properly. I know what works right for me. And, you know, it's still a little bit of a learning process, but I'm certainly becoming a lot more confident in my instinct and my gut feelings when it comes to preparation. So when you look back on the Sunday when you when you win your first you know tournament on the LPJ tournament, which was a goal of yours, I know for forever. Did you play as good as you thought you needed to play to win one? Because no. I'm always fascinated. Because I ask people all the time, you know, I, I ask the guys on on the PJ tour that that have never won before, you know, what did you learn? And they always they always say the same thing. I learned I really didn't have to play that good because I played better mm -hmm. the week before and finished like 15th. I hit it better. And, and, and did you feel that same thing as well? A hundred percent. Like I, w I wasn't shocked that I won because I felt like I was trending in the right direction, but I wasn't, I didn't feel I was playing like spectacular golf. Like I was still making mistakes and but it's just that little thing that like you just have that one putt that drops or that one tee shot that just misses the bunker. And you do get little breaks like that, which obviously help you to win. But yeah, no, it's, it's kind of incredible really. I just feel like when it's your week, it's your week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've certainly played better than when I won at ShotRite, for sure. And finished, like you said, I finished probably top 20. So um, yeah, that was kind of, I did think that actually when I won, I was like, wow, I didn't really feel like I played any better than I had done, you know, four or five weeks previously where I'd finished, you know, 20th. So yeah, it's kind of a funny one. Take us back to the beginning. How did golf come into your life? How did you get started in golf? And, and what are your early memories? What was Mel like as a junior golfer? <laughs> annoying um <laughs> so nothing's really changed annoying. right nothing's changed now i've just got a bit taller um yeah i mean i started, i was a footballer growing up footballer and a snowboarder um i played for derby county up until i was 11 couldn't play with boys anymore so i tried to join a girls team just didn't really wasn't really my vibe didn't really enjoy it as much and a lot of my friends um actually played golf at the local golf club where my mum and dad played and so my mum was like, look, just try it. And I just completely fell in love with it. And my mum would drop me off at 
seven o'clock in the morning, pick me up at eight o'clock at night. We'd play 45 holes, you know, there was such a good junior section. And yeah, I think that the reason I got into golf, honestly, was because of the social aspect, which is kind of weird now because, you know, we're on our own so much. It's such an individual sport. But yeah, the reason I got into it is because all my friends were and I just, yeah, we just would play golf literally from the moment the sun, you know, rose to the moment the sun set. We just, we absolutely loved it. What is the first set of golf clubs that you can remember having? I had some Ben Sayers. Ben, I was going to say Ben yeah. Sayers. I knew it was going to be yeah. Ben Sayers. Yeah, I had some Ben Sayers. It was like an old set of my dad's or something with big fat jumbo grips on it. Yeah, that was my first set. So yeah, I basically wore them out for a couple of years and then decided to get me an actual decent set. So um, when I started getting a, bit, a little bit better. How old were you when you first broke par? And do you remember the course and the, the whole experience? Does, don't even remember. Of course you don't. No. <laughs> I was off scratch Shock. at 15. I know. I was off scratch at 15. So I don't, or 15, 16. So I don't know around then. I have no idea. I don't remember things like that, Claude. So when you were playing as a kid, what were your goals when you thought about what you were going to try and do? What's obviously you became a good player and you, you were trending and you know playing junior golf and kind of amateur golf and stuff like what were the goals then was it the goals to get to where you are today to being you know on the Solheim Cup you know LPGA winner you know fashion icon you know <laughs> <laughs> influencer influencer um, I know yeah basically all the all the things above that you mentioned but yeah I mean I wanted to win the British Open I still want to win the British Open that's my number one goal in my career is to win the British Open and yeah I mean I didn't think that I always knew that golf would take me to America I always saw myself living in America um Solheim Cup obviously a huge goal of mine I grew up massive fan of Laura Davies she's kind of one of the reasons I got into golf which is ironic now we're pretty good friends and um so yeah they were they were the things like I just remember watching you know back then it was the Weetabix uh women's British Open so yeah I just wanted to wanted to win a British Open that's kind of still at the top of my list I never thought an Olympics would be in the question now it is that's something that obviously is a huge goal for me this year that was I mean that say. was a big goal of yours you know last year and then to, to yeah. actually now be leading the points I mean you're pretty much a I lock know. now you get to represent GB and I in the Olympics huh I mean they're gonna let you don't, bring the flag don't, in. don't jinx me not a locking yet I, I mean like when I said it to you a year and a God, year and a half. Yeah, you did. Like 200th in the world. I was like, I'm making this team. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty cool, actually. But that's, it's, as a, like, somebody who grew up playing multiple sports, like, being an Olympian is honestly, like, I never thought that that was ever possible in golf. And it's so funny because, you know, like, you know, DJ, for example, I mean, DJ has zero interest in playing the Olympics. <laughs> and, and he always, and I always say to him, I was like, dude, why do you want to play the Olympics? And he said, he actually thought about it. And he was like, you know, bro, I was thinking about it. He's like, I just, and, and Brooks said the same thing. It was never playing golf in the Olympics was never an option because you didn't grow up. I mean, golf weren't, wasn't in the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. So if, I think for some players, this idea of, of, of it being a dream, it wasn't a dream for some players. But for you, as soon as obviously you knew that there was an opportunity, golf was going to be in the Olympics, it became, you know, something that was really, really important that, that, that you accomplish. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that not only from a from like a selfish point of view of being Olympian, I think it's also where I think the Olympics is going to be one of the biggest things for golf and the fact of growing the game because you get to get so many different eyes 
on golf during the Olympics. Like I would never normally watch gymnastics during the Olympics. I love watching gymnastics. You know, it's just, um, I just think it's a great opportunity to grow the game. If I'm, if I'm honest as well, you just get all these different eyes on it that you wouldn't normally get. And um, yeah, I'm just hopefully, if you haven't jinxed me already, hopefully I get to go and uh, hopefully inspire a few people to pick up a golf club. Well, no, I can't, I can't jinx you because you have to play good now to, to, keep, you know, <laughs> to keep where you are. So it's actually reverse psychology and, and motivation. Thank you. Appreciate that. When you when you were growing up, were your golfing heroes um, men or more women? Men, if I'm completely honest. Like I had Laura um, as kind of like somebody who I really looked up to, and Webby um, again, a good friend of mine, which is kind of weird. And then yeah, it was Tiger. You know, I remember watching Tiger winning the Masters in '97, and that's when I first kind of really really wanted to get into golf like he was my complete idol like I loved him I used to try and dress like him and <laughs> I used to try and club twirl like him and try and swing it like him like I would watch videos I used to have the VHS videos of him and I would literally just sit in front of the TV for hours just rewinding his swing and trying to do it in a mirror like I would did do that for did, hours did you do the thing where you'd kneel down and look yes, at pots and yeah. kind of, of course you did <laughs> oh of course I did I had a tiger head cover oh I loved it yeah do you wear do you wear the red on Sunday too? I used to, and then I was like, I can't because it's just I'm just not that good. I just I just couldn't rock it. Like I don't know. I just I stopped doing. I used to wear black on Sundays instead. What did you like about Tiger and his game and kind of the way he went about things and and what you know about him resonated with you? I think like his creativity. I mean, I just think he's a complete artist on the golf course. And I, that just seemed really cool to me. Like the way that he would chip, the way he would move shots, you know, the stinger he used to hit. Um, you know, nobody had ever really seen that to that degree, or, you know, done that as well as that until he came along. And so that was just something that really attracted me to him. I was just like, that is just so cool. He just made, for me, he made golf very, very cool. Um, and he got me addicted to it, if I'm completely honest. I was just trying to be like Tiger every single time I went to the golf club. Did you ever get a chance to play with him? No, never played with him. I've never even really met him. I've like walked past him a few times, but I've never really met him. Really? No, you, you, I know. I mean, but because, I mean, you've done a lot of, I've, you know, I've seen you at some of the majors doing, you know, TV yeah. and walking around with the headset on and stuff. Have you been out with him in a tournament yeah. and watched him play and, you know, in, in kind of a TV role and watched the shots that he hit? Yeah, like I watched him at the Open um, <clears throat> back when it was at Carnoustie a couple of years ago. Just un like his iron play. I've never seen someone hit irons like that. Like it was just, he's just an unbelievable iron player. I think that yeah, I just that's the first time I ever watched him play like 18 holes. And it was just, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And, you know, I think the, the, the amazing thing about Tiger is the thing that makes him a great iron player is how many, you know, boring shots he hits to 20 feet. And mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I mean, obviously, when you watch Tiger Woods, he's going to hit some inside of five feet and they're going to be great shots. But when I watch Tiger and I've been out in a lot of practice rounds with him, and then obviously I watched him play a bunch when he worked with my dad, he would just, he would do kind of the, the, the basic things really well. He would get the ball in play off the tee, you know, in, in his heyday. I mean, obviously he went south with the driver, you know, and, and has gone through that. But his iron game, he just basically, he, I mean, I talked to him when, you know, in, when he was working with my dad, he said, listen, to be honest, he said, I just aim 15, 20 feet right or left of the hole and a lot of flags I don't even go at. Mm -hmm. And I think that he makes, because he takes a really conservative approach 
he makes it look like really, really spectacular when he's really just trying to hit kind of shots that aren't really going to get him in trouble. Right. And I also think that um, what's really impressive about him is how many times he's pin high, which yeah. is a always. very difficult thing. He's always pin high, whether yeah. the pins, you know, five from the back, five from the front, like he's always pin high. Like it was, that was kind of one of the things that really stood out to me when I watched him was like, that was really impressive. And if he misses greens, he kind of misses them pin high. Yeah. And he has, you know, he has, you know, chip shots that are, that are easy. I'll never forget. It was like 2000 and I want to say it was like 2001 and Adam Scott, you know, was playing a practice round with him. I think we were at the PGA in Atlanta that David Toms won and Scott, he'd been playing well on the European tour and had, I think he'd had a win, but you know, Scotty's shooting 66, 67 on, you know, Thursday, Friday, and then throws in 74, 75 on Saturday, and then puts him behind the eight ball on Sunday. And so we were walking around, we we're on the back nine. And, and he said, you know, Scotty, you, you just got to get better at hanging around. And Adam was like, so blown away that Tiger had even been watching. He was like, you know, that tournament a couple of weeks ago, I watched you, you know, you played great on Thursday and Friday, and then you shoot 75 on Saturday. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? Just hang around, get to Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that he said to, to, to Adam, you haven't really won a big tournament yet. And he said, I know what you want to do. You just want to go out and shoot 64, 65 on Sunday, kind of all guns blazing. And he said, I'll be honest with you. The fun ones are when you go out and shoot one under and everybody else throws up and gives them to you. And it was always interesting to me that Tiger was like Jack. He was really happy to let everybody else you know, mess it up. I mean, if you look at the Masters he won a couple of years ago, I mean, I think he shoots one under on Sunday and lets everybody else, Brooks, Tony, Holtz, and uh, Francesco Molari, he lets all of them rinse it in the water on 12 and make double and take themselves out of tournament. He just hits it 25 feet, makes par Mm -hmm. and gets out. Are there, are there, when you look at the girl, the current, you know, crop of, of, of ladies on the, on the, on the LPGA, whose games do you really, really like that you play with that you say, wow, I really like the way she plays? I play with Nelly a lot. Um, Nelly's a very impressive player to me. She, her and Jess, like her and Jess are very different players. I think that, you know, and I've, I, Jess knows this, I'm good friends with Jess. Like I think Nelly is is more talented than Jess, but I think Jess mentally is a lot stronger than Nelly. And if, when them two, they hang out so much and they obviously play practice rounds, they're actually starting to combine the two. And Nelly's becoming more mentally strong and Jess is technically getting very, very good. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So Nelly is probably the most impressive player, I think, right now um, that I've played with recently. I, and she's just, she's a great girl as well. Like both of them are just really, really good girls. And yeah, she's going to be really, really good for the game. NB Park just blows me away oh. every time I watch her play. Oh. I mean, the backswing, the no turn, <laughs> and the ball just goes dead straight. And if there's a better putter in the game i don't know there's who it not. is there's not she is the most incredible like player like we i played with her a couple of weeks ago at kia like she just i mean you don't even think she's played that well and she shoots like four or five under you just yeah. and she she holds everything she looks at but yeah her swing is so unique she never gets excited there's no emotion there whatsoever i mean she's a, she's so lovely and is so really really nice girl but there's just no emotion like she just controls her emotions so well and she just plods it, middle of the fairway, you know, middle of the green. I'll hold that 20 foot. Next hole, just, you know, <laughs> 20 foot. I'll hold that one. Thank you. Honestly, it's just like, it's, she's like a robot. Honestly, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch. 
It's amazing that Jordan Spieth gets so much credit be, being such a good player. Every time I watch the LPJ, I mean, Inby's hooping it from 30 <laughs> feet. She's hooping it from 25 feet. I mean, when she, when she has a, a five or six footer, you know, for birdie and she misses it, you're, as yeah. someone that watches it, you're like, how'd she miss that one? So like we were, even last week in Singapore, like we we're to 18 and uh, 13th green, uh, 18th tee and 12th green are very close to each other. This shot comes on the green, 25 foot, it's Inby. And I just looked at Des and the other girls in the group. And I was like, oh, nice birdie for Inby. And she did. She just rolled it in. Like, it's just, it's incredible to watch. Like, she's the most incredible player I've ever seen. Yeah. I think that, you know, what elements of your game do you feel like that you want to try and work on that you feel? Or what do you feel like the strengths of your game are? And what do you feel like the areas of your game that you can improve? Um, I think I'm a good ball striker and a driver of the golf ball. My chipping has become a lot, lot better. I think that because I hit a lot of greens, I get frustrated with my putting if I'm not holding putt. So I think I definitely could become a better putter and I definitely could become a better kind of wedge player. Um, that's something that I've just bought, you know, a, a, G, a GC quad. So that's going to, I can kind of see the improvements in it already. But yeah, I'm going to do a lot, a lot of work on my pitching in the next few weeks and um, hopefully try and get that up because I'm just not, I'm just nowhere near where I need to be with my pitching inside 120 yards. You know, the DJ model that DJ, everybody always says, you know, he became such a bad, he was a bad wedge player and then he became a good wedge player and stuff like that. And everybody always asks me, you know, what, what did he do? What was the formula? And I was like, well, one, he got a launch monitor. He mm -hmm. puts one, he puts two numbers on, he puts carry and spin. And that's basically all he looks at. And his warmups are about, DJ's warmups are probably longer than everyone else. He's about an hour and a half from the time he gets walks, you know, from the locker room onto the putting green and stuff like that. He putts first and then he'll hit balls for 45, you know, sometimes 45 minutes to almost an hour of just hitting shots from his wedge distances, which are inside of 150. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's got a half, a three quarter and a full. And he basically has just figured out how far the ball goes with those distances and that's basically all he works on. Everybody thinks it's like super technical and, you know, we worked on all this stuff and basically he just practices. And I, and I do think that wedge game and stuff like that, it's a little bit like, you know, people say, I really want to get in shape. You're like, just put the time in at the gym yeah. and you will see improvement. And I think from your wedge distances, if you put the time in and the effort and figure out, you know, what, how everything go, how far everything goes, it's an easy fix by just putting in some, some, some work. A hundred percent. And like, you know, when I was at the Floridian with you guys, like it was very easy for me to get a launch monitor and do a little bit of that. Whereas it's not as easy for me to get that. So that's why I invested, you know, in the, in the foresight. I mean, all this and... money you're making Mel, I mean, you no, can I... a launch monitor. Okay. <laughs> all this influence and money. Um, so yeah, I finally managed to um, save up and buy a, a quad, um, but yeah, hopefully that's going to make a big difference. Like, and it's actually given me a little bit of like, you know, newfound joy for practice. Like I don't normally struggle with practice, but you know, it's just a new toy and I've just quite enjoyed it. And, you know, I've been taking it to tournaments and stuff and seeing different elevations. It's just been pretty cool. So um, yeah, well, I'm definitely going to get back on that. We'll get grinding on that, like you said, and hopefully become a much better wedge player. I think you're easily one of the, the, the fittest and the strongest players in, you know, the game of golf in general. Has fitness always been something that's been really, really important to you? Because I think, you know, when I look at how hard you work in the gym and I look at, you know, the kind of transformation of where you were when you came out on tour versus the way you are today, um, 
it's obviously something that you enjoy and, and has become, you know, a real part of your life. Yeah, I mean, I've loved it. Like I said, I grew up playing sports. That's the only thing I'm good at is sport. Like I wasn't really good at anything else. So um, I just love, I love playing sport. I love being fit. I love lifting weights. I love running. I love biking. Like it's just, I love being outdoors. Like it's just, it's always just been something in my blood. You know, we, growing up, we just played a lot of sports. So yeah, for me, I think that it's, it's hugely important as well, especially with how global the tour is now to, travel and uh recover and things like that and also you know from a golf swing perspective i think that especially for girls like i feel like guys obviously are, a, are naturally a little bit more stronger than we are and so we i feel like it is important for girls to get strong to be able to you know hold positions in their golf swing and you know use the ground up and get a little bit more distance because obviously i know the men's game has gone very much into distance i feel like the women's game is kind of getting a little bit like that like with Anne van dam you know maria fassi lexi um patty like all these girls are now hitting it absolutely miles and i just feel like that's the way the game is trending a little bit and also i'm not getting any younger claude but um but i'm trying to keep up with all these young puppies on tour as well but yeah i mean i i would say that i take it extremely seriously um it's something that comes very easily to me like as in i enjoy doing it and so yeah i mean i've got a great trainer down in jupiter and ken mcdonald and we've just done some really, really, really good work the last kind of two or three years. Like I've, this is probably the fittest and strongest I've ever been. So, you know, give credit to him as well. You're trying to uh, get in shape for the, for the big wedding you've got coming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can hold on to it that long. Yeah. <laughs> you still obviously, going out in a minute. Obviously huge news. I mean, getting engaged and, you know, kind of going into that next phase of your life. Um, I think also one of the things that I think that I notice about you now versus maybe where you were four or five years ago, you look so much happier in your own skin and off the golf course. Cause I, you know, I've been on tour now for, you know, pretty much my entire life. And normally when things get going bad with players on the golf course, it's not like you forget how to make backswings. It's not how you forget. And I think sometimes what's going on off the golf course and you seem, you know, with Carly, the engagement, you know, that this new kind of direction that you guys are starting in your life, it, it's got to be really, really exciting for you. And, you know, it's, it's got to be something that you take a tremendous amount of strength from as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't expect to meet somebody like Carly. Um, you know, I'd come out of a long relationship when I'd met her and, you know, it's, I don't like saying like she completed me because I don't think that that's kind of gives credit to, to what she's done, but you know, she's just allowed me to be me. She's like the first person that I've ever been with who is just, I don't know why, but just loves me. Um, and just loves all of me. I have no idea why, but, um, but yeah, so I thought I'd just lock her in as quickly as possible. But yeah, I mean, she's, you know, you know, you've met Carly and she loves you and she's she's just a great girl and she's honestly like the sh one of the strongest women I've ever met. Um, so, yeah, she's just, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have her kind of by my side through all this and have her support. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can keep hold of her until we get married next April and go through with it. And then she can't get rid of me that easily. So, yeah. And I think that, like you said, I think being happy off the golf course is such an underrated thing. I think that you know, you see it all the time with players when, you know, their relationships or something isn't going well, their golf kind of does this. And it, like you said, it's nothing to do with their talent or their work rate or anything like that. It's just, you know, you need stability. And I feel like for the first time in my life, you know, the last two or three years with, obviously with the help of Carly moving here, I finally feel like I've actually got some stability. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, 
reason I did it was because of my own doing and I, I take responsibility for that. But um, yeah, for the first time, I just don't feel like I'm searching for anything. I just feel very, very content, very happy. And yeah, it's definitely the happiest I've been in my life is the moments right now. You've been very honest about, you know, some of the struggles that you went through with, you know, trying to, you know, how you were going to come out with, you know, your sexuality and stuff. You know, if you look back maybe five, 10 years ago and, and, and think about where you were then and, and the, the fears that you have versus where you are now as, as someone that you know, is very open and honest about, you know, where they are and what they're doing. Um, it's got to be, you know, very, very liberating and very freeing for you as a person. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we all want to give back to the game of the golf that has given us so much. And that was my way of giving back was kind of saying like, hey, this is me. You know, I'm trying to be the best version of myself and, you know, so should everybody else. I think the world would be a happier place if people did that. And that's kind of why I wanted to show my story. It wasn't necessarily like, hey, everyone, I'm, you know, I'm gay. It was kind of, I just wanted to express that, you know, just be who you are. Like, um, you know, I've, I've seen the, the bad side of it. I've seen the bad side of, you know, people's sexuality is destroying families and, you know, the reactions from parents. And, you know, I, I've seen that side of it. And that's kind of why I wanted to kind of be the voice for those people as well and, and let them know that they have my support. And, you know, I have the, you know, I have the kind of back, I guess. I don't know. I just I just wanted to, to speak out for the community and, and just do something about it. And hopefully, you know, it's inspired a few people and hopefully it's educated a lot of people and hopefully people have had a little bit of a different opinion on it. And that's kind of all I wanted to to get across from from the reason of me coming out. And I think also one of the things I, I love about you is is you feel like you're, it's, I don't think you feel like it's an obligation, but you, I think you're using where you are in your life today, not only professionally, but personally to say, listen, this is who I am. This is what I went through. And this is kind of where I am today. And I'm proud of where I am today. And, and, you know, these are some of not the mistakes, but you went through this, this thing of not, no, no, but I think you, you've talked to me before about you, you know, in the past, you, you, you didn't, I, I, I remember reading an article once you were worried, you said you were worried about what your sponsors, if you came Mm -hmm. out into the open on, on your sexuality, and, and I remember, I thought the quote that you said was really cool. You finally said, well, listen, why would sponsors want to be associated with me if I was pretending to be something that I'm not? Right. And I think that's that's hugely powerful to hear someone like yourself say that because that's actually true. Why would a company, mm-hmm. if you came out and said, listen, just by the way, I'm letting everyone know now that I'm gay. This is who I am. You would think the company would want you for you. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be completely honest, I think that, you know, I've had discussions with a bunch of girls on tour that are like, you know, I would never come out because my sponsor's this and this this company in this country. And and I'm just like, you know, I, I just got to a point in my in my life, I think, where I felt so comfortable with it. I was like, well, I don't want to be associated with people like with with companies that have an issue with it. Like I don't this is something that I don't want anymore. You know, I want companies to represent me who I am proud to represent. I think that that's just in a, that's just where I was at that point in my career. And yeah, and I just think that I, like you said, I've just had a pretty unique journey as well. Like I just, you know, I've, I'm always very honest with with people about my life, and um, you know, I just think that people just kind of see athletes as superhuman sometimes, and I'm like, you know, that's not the case, and that's also why I just wanted to to tell my story as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll just keep telling it as long as people want to listen to it as well. 
I thought it was interesting during the lockdown last year. I mean, you got just roasted for just a, you know, a side comment about the fact that, you know, the, the thing at Seminole with Rory and Ricky and DJ, um, it would, and I think it was, I think Matt Wolf was that it'd be great if there was a woman and you just get hammered just by people. You just hammered. got crushed. Oh, I got so crushed. I mean, I probably could have worded it differently, but I was, I was pissed off. Like I was like, there's not, and I wasn't just speaking from a golf point of view. Like I was saying there's nobody in the broadcast who's a woman. There's no guest on it. That's a woman. And I was like, so just say men's golf is back. That's all they had to say. Like instead of saying golf is back. So yeah, I did get absolutely slayed for that. It wasn't, I actually, that's the one time that Carly's took my phone off me and she deleted Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and was like, you cannot, like, I was actually just, I wouldn't get off the sofa. She was like, come on, we're going out. You're not even, you're not even reading anymore. Because it was, there's some of the stuff people say. And like, I'm, I'm nowhere near, like, as have a platform or, or have, you know, I'm nowhere near as famous as all these boys. Like the stick they must get. If I got that amount of stick for just saying that, the amount of stick that real actual famous people must get is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real thing. It's, it's tough. I, I, I say to DJ all the time, you know, I'll show him some things all the time about stuff. And he's just, I mean, he just has, he doesn't read anything. <laughs> he doesn't, no, no, but he never reads anything anyone says about him. You know, I had a long conversation last summer with Rory and we were talking about Twitter and he was just like, listen, I've taken Twitter off my phone, right? It's something I did about two months ago and it has been a, you know, a complete game changer for me. I still have an account, but I would sit there and you'd see somebody say something about you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I do, I do some segments for, for Sky from tournaments and I'm like, okay, you know, I've got three or four players at this tournament. I used to do a ton of work for Sky. Now they want me to come. I'm just going to go in and they say, hey, can you come in and do 15 minutes of commentary? And I'm like, okay, I'm juggling four players at a tournament. I'm going to go in and do 15 minutes of commentary. And you get these assholes, you know, starting, and oh, yeah. you, you want to like respond and you realize them. And my wife always says, she's like, they've got 15 followers. But it's <laughs> yeah, human nature. But it's human nature that when people, you know, as human beings were designed, I think when somebody comes at you or says something you know that's not good it's hard not to be affected by it right i mean you know it's funny like i try not look at social media during a tournament but i still do and i still read like even the night before i won shot right someone tweeted me saying don't, uh don't worry Cupcho's gonna win mel's gonna choke as usual <laughs> and like i was like why have i just read that but it kind of gave me it kind of had a bit of a role reversal like i kind of i used it as energy i tweeted him back actually when i won and he blocked me so um <laughs> i just stuck my finger up at him but yeah i mean it's, it's it's tough not to read it because it's right there and yeah i think i think i also heard rory say that he puts his phone away during the masters on a sunday you know till the following sunday so you know that's because these boys just get hounded like it and and the girls as well like it's it's kind of incredible how many um how many times do you you know go to send something and then back away and don't send it do you actually type it out and just go or do you just yeah, send loads. it? No, I do it loads. I actually always check with Carly. She's like, you can't say that. And I'm like, why? <laughs> She's like, just don't say that. Just leave it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I always check with Carly. I'm like, can I do this? She's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, oh, okay. Boring. All right, so, let, let, so. Let's, get to the, let's get to the good stuff. What is the current tattoo count? <laughs> um, how many tattoos are we current? And how many, I mean, how many more are we going to get? So I've just, I've got eight now, I think, eight or nine. I'll probably get a couple more. We spoke, I really want to sleep, but I would, I mean, you I've already got like a deep enough voice. I don't need anything else bringing my attention. So 
Yeah, no, I really want to sleep, but I'm not allowed. Carly won't let me get one, so. When was the first, What? how old were you when you got your first tattoo? And what was it? Was something just horrendous or was it actually something good? No, it was, it was, <laughs> it was this one on my arm, me and Brianne. You know Brianne, my best mate, Brianne Laux. Yep. Yeah. So we were, uh, it, we went for a night out in Manchester and we were probably about 21 years old, 20 years old. And she's like, should we go and get a tattoo? I was like, perfect. And we literally just walked into a tattoo shop and we got my, like, she got, I got my dad's date of birth on my arm and she got a brother's on her shoulder and she woke up and it was all, it wasn't, it wasn't straight. She was, cause she kept telling the guy, she's like, that's not straight. And he's like, it is. And she, he kept moving it and then it was all square. So yeah, that was when we first, uh, we first got, I've actually only got, that's the only tattoo I've got. Dry. Oh no, I did get one in Vegas. I got one in Vegas, but I've covered that now. Um, but they're the only two tattoos that were kind of, everything else has been very thoughtfully kind of, I've actually been thought about it and planned it. Does anybody ask you to go do something and you go, no, I'm out on that. I just, I just have the feeling that somebody says, hey, we're going to go get tattoos. Yeah, I'm in on that. Hey, Mel, we're, yeah. we're thinking about going parachuting. Yeah, I'm in on that. <laughs> yeah, like we were in Australia once and one of my mates was like, do you want to do a skydive? And I'm like, sure. And she's like, oh, they've got a spot today. And we just finished our first round and I played with Yanni and Webby. And I was like, yeah, all right. And I just went for a skydive that afternoon and then turned up and Webby's like, oh, what did you do last night? I was like, oh, I jumped out of a plane at 13 and a half thousand feet. <laughs> she was like, what, are you, what is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm, I just, I get FOMO. I just, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. You mentioned um, when you were younger on, on tour, you traveled a lot. I know you've traveled all over the place. What are the places that, you, that you've loved going to and what are some of your favorite spots that you've been to? Absolutely love Australia. Like if that wasn't as far away from home as it is, I would move there in a heartbeat. Like I could, it's I just, could see you've got a lot of Australian yeah. tendencies. Yeah, I love Australia. Like it's the one place that I don't get anxiety like leaving home to go to. Um, yeah, I just, I just love it. I just think the people like, you know, they don't particularly like, <laughs> like the English, but yeah, I just, I love the people. I love the way they live their life. I think that, you know, it is kind of a little bit, it's very similar to the way the British people live. We just don't have the weather or the nice beaches like Australia do. So yeah, I just, I just love the culture there and everyone's been so amazing every time I've been there and kind of welcomed me since, you know, that was my first ever invite was in Australia. And so I've always just felt a very close connection to it. Do you like the travel or does the travel and the grind of traveling now that you're, you know, you're going to be settling down and, you know, be married? Is the travel now different than it was, you know, pre-meeting Carly to where you just were like, fuck it, I'll just go and do whatever. And now, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I hate traveling, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> we don't get to fly private like the boys. So we have to fly like normal people. And it gets a bit draining after a while. Like it's just, it's just tough. Like it's tough going, you know, packing up and going places every single week. Like, you know, you're never really at home for more than a couple of weeks during the season. You know, if you get two weeks at home, it's kind of a massive blessing. So by the end of the season, you just get a bit sick of getting on planes and unpacking and living out of suitcases and, you know, going to Airbnbs. And so that'll be the one thing I think will stop me in the end. Like when we, you know, we want to have a family and hopefully she, you know, Carly's been able to travel with me a little bit because pj tour have been working remote which has made a huge difference like it's literally been a huge game changer for me um and you know when we start having a family they'll probably travel with me a little bit but you know i just i think that'll be the one thing that stops me in the end is is you know the constant travel when you think about having a family mel what kind of parent do you think you're going to be <laughs> <laughs> huh come um, on i'm yeah i'm gonna be carly's gonna be the strict sensible 
just most incredible mother. Carly's going to walk out of the room and you're just going to go, here, take it. Take yeah, it. and I'm, I'm going to be playing The Floor is Lava with it, just like jumping all over the sofa and throwing baseballs at it, you know, full speed and, you know, kicking a football at its head. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic, actually. I don't think, yeah, Carly's... Knowing me, I'll probably, um, we'll probably have about six kids. I'll have a whole football team. So, um but yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. When I tell people I'm going to have, like, with, you know, want to have a family, people on tour literally just look and laugh at me. And they're like, you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I, I cannot wait for the baby name. <laughs> I cannot wait for the baby. There's no chance the baby's going to be called Sue or Jane no, or something no, like no, that. No. It's going to be a, it's going to be a David Beckham, you know, Victoria <laughs> Beckham kind of, you know, something like 100%. that. 100%. Oh yeah, we've already got the names. They're pretty out there. It's funny. Yeah, you just know that there's just no <laughs> chance of it being like a very simple kind of. No, no, it's uh, not going to be Tom or yeah, no, nothing Steve. like that. No, Steve, no, Alan, Steve, Alan. Well, Steve. So obviously, Mel, I'm rocking the LPJ hoodie that Michelle Wee West did not send to me. I, I, I bought this myself, and I bought it because I saw it on your story, and I was, and you posted swipe up, so I. I swiped up and, and, and made the purchase. The LPJ took about three weeks to get here. So um, thanks, LPJ. Well, you've got one before me. You've got one before me. Michelle didn't send me one and the LPJ didn't send me one. So you're, oh, uh, on. maybe I need to buy one. I know, I know. So um, yeah, I'm hopefully getting mine at Kings Mill. Apparently I was a little bit late for it at Kia. Or where, no, where was it? LA a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, I think it's an un unbelievable concept. I kind of mentioned it to them a year ago because um, obviously the WNBA, I saw the WNBA were doing and um, they never got back in contact with me. So they'd obviously been doing it kind of behind the scenes and they took the idea, I think, to Michelle. And I think Michelle's obviously the perfect person for it. I mean, she, it would never have kind of kicked off without her. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a really cool concept and it's nice to see people like yourself supporting us and some of the boys supporting us and rocking it and looking good in it. So yeah, we're very happy about it. What do you like currently about the LPGA Tour and what don't you like currently about the LPGA Tour? <laughs> uh, I think that where we're heading as in venues for big events, um, the golf courses we're playing, I think is unbelievable. Um, I think that, you know, Mike Wan, I think has, has done an incredible job at the LPGA. Like it's it, from where we were 10 or 15 years ago to now is, is kind of night and day. Um, where do I not like it going? I would like a little bit more respect for, um, for women's golf. Uh, we do, we obviously do get it. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I kind of been a bit outspoken about this. Like, I'm like, you know, big manufacturers don't give us, you know, the respect that I feel like we deserve. Like Envy broke her three wood at the U S open when she was one number one and then rang the big company that she was with. And they said she had to pay, you know, trade price and, they couldn't ship it out to her for three days. And it's just little things like that. But like, we do get like, you know, the Ping boys, the Callaway boys, um, PXG, all these boys are on the range every single week on the LPJ tour. But um, it's definitely changing. Like, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's different. Women's golf is different than, than men's golf. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's a perception thing? Do you think it's a cultural thing? I think it's a bit of both. Like we've spoke about this. Like I think that, I think that um, obviously TV. Like we need more TV rights, um, but to do that we need more money. It's kind of a chicken and egg situation. I think that 
it's a responsibility for media. I think that it's a responsibility for manufacturers. I think that, um, I think it's a responsibility from the players as well. Like, I think that the players need to do a little bit more in, in showcasing the women's game. Like, you know, I think, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And I, I do feel like it is moving in the right direction, but you know, media, I think is, I think it's like, I read something statistically, it's less than 1% of sports media is women's sport. Um, you know, that just needs to change. I think that that's where the, the big growth is going to come from is, is from the media outlets. Solheim Cup, I know that's um, you've been a part of those teams. You were a vice captain. Um, you were the best partier um, at, at Glen Eagles. Um, Going to be more of a playing role, hopefully, this time. What has it been like? Because I know, you know, the guys, you know, I've been lucky enough to be around, you know, some of the guys when they've been on these teams and stuff. And even though the Americans, you know, haven't won um, nearly as much as the Euros have, um, it must be an amazing experience to 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 make the team to play and the camaraderie and, and those weeks. So just the guys, they always talk about them. I know it's the same on, on the LPGA with the, the Solheim. You forge these kind of friendships from these partnerships. Have you experienced that as well? Yeah. I mean, Solheim is my jam. I absolutely love it. I was obviously good to miss it last year. I mean, I was still an assistant captain, but would much rather have been playing. And it's just, it's just different. Like you literally walk into the room and the egos are just left out the door and you just become, I think, especially, you know, I can kind of only speak about Europe, but like, I think especially with Europe, that's kind of one of our strengths is we do all get on. Like we've kind of all grown up together. We obviously play together and we just become, you know, one unit, one team for that whole week. And, you know, it's, I really hope we can get crowds this year at Inverness because obviously the crowds just completely make it, um, you know, and especially in America, like, Playing a Solheim Cup in America is, is pretty special. Um, we always get huge, huge crowds in America. You know, everybody's up for it. Everyone's, you know, giving a shit. And uh, yeah, we just, it's just an incredible week. I think it's just one of the, the greatest, you know, I do, I do. I think the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup are two of the greatest like sporting events, you know, to take place. And um, yeah, it's just something that I'm always going to try and strive to be part of. If you do, if I haven't jinxed you and you do make the Olympic team, Tell me a sport that you really want to go watch that people will be surprised that you want to go watch. Um, oh, that's a good one, actually. I actually, I really want to watch gymnastics. I'm fascinated by how strong the gym, like people who do gymnastics are. Like to me, like, you know, when the guys are on the rings and the girls are on the floor, like to me that that's, I just can't believe how strong they are. Like I can't do a handstand. So, um, or backflip, even though I try sometimes, like, I just think they're just incredible yeah, but the, athletes. But, but Mel, those are all alcohol related when you're trying oh, to yeah, do handstands or backflips. Very true. So there's that's not a lot of form and there's not a lot of... Grace in it, no. Um, but yeah, it's probably be a gymnastics. It's, I just love how, for me, I just think they're like ultimate athletes. I think they're, I think they're incredible. Lastly, moving to America, I know that was a big decision of yours. How has that really kind of helped your career and and what do you like about being you know in the U.S. and and living here and and playing on the LPGA tour? I mean, like first of all, I think the obvious the weather. I cannot tell you how much easier it is to train. I actually had no idea how difficult I was making my life, kind of living in in the UK. Um, like when I moved here, I was like, wow, I can actually plan practice because I know it's going to be nice weather and. You know, I first moved down to Jupiter, which we absolutely loved. We're up in Jacksonville now, um, which is a little bit different, but it's, it's a good different. Um, 
so yeah I just think like from a travel point of view as well like getting to tournaments like I can travel a lot lot easier um but I mean just I mean you guys just have so many good golf courses and good practice facilities here like it's you know you're extremely spoiled we just don't have that kind of facility in the UK and the other thing that I love about America is how much you guys just love sport whether it be college sport or professional sport and I just think that's just something that I've really enjoyed you know getting to learn as well um you guys just love athletes and love people that play sport and that's just for me really really cool anything that you miss from what's the go-to food that you go as soon as you get back to the uk what's the food and drink that is your go-to that you go i'm back i'm going straight there uh i'm going straight to the pub first of all um and just what's a sunday dr- roast what's, what's the drink in the pub now what's the go-to um, at home just any beer if i'm honest <laughs> like i i it's just so weird because i don't know but um i mean it's typical me i love guinness like to me an english or like our guinness is pretty good in england it does not travel well i've never had a good guinness over here in america so the first thing i do is have a couple guinnesses but um yeah straight to the pub as soon as i land literally we go straight to the pub and just meet up with people and yeah that's that's the thing i miss the most is like sundays sundays was uh, is my favorite day um like we would literally go walk to the pub put the roast dinner on go and walk to the pub with the dogs and have a couple beers few more than a couple and then come back and you know drunkenly eat your roast dinner and you know watch the football match at four o'clock and yeah I just I just miss that that's the thing that I miss the most about England last question I'll let you go who is the cook in the house is it you or is it Carly oh 100% me first time I met Carly <laughs> she's making mac and cheese out of a packet and she had one fork one knife and one bowl when I first met her she hadn't she hadn't even opened a bottle of wine she didn't know how to open a bottle of wine I bought a bottle of wine over and she'd made me mac and cheese out of a packet. And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, do you want to open the wine? And she's like, I, I don't have a, I've she never opened a bottle of wine. She just does the screw tops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all well, the big jugs that are like three, three, $3 from box. She does the box, she does the box wine. Yes, a, yeah, loves it. Box wine. So, you, so yeah, you've, you've, I, you've cultured her. I enjoy her. cooking. I very much so, yeah. And I, yeah, I've, uh, she drinks all kind of alcohol now and yeah, eats all kind of food. So yeah, I'm definitely the chef. Uh, I enjoy doing it as well. Like I don't have a problem doing it, but she's definitely got better. Like she can make like curries and things now. Like she doesn't just make mac and cheese. And Look at you. Um, I know. So yeah we're, yeah, we're proper little housewives. Well, thanks for talking to me. I hope I haven't jinxed yeah. you because I expect to see you in the GBNI on the podium you know doing the thing (laughs) i appreciate it i hope so we'll we'll look forward to seeing you soon all right take care cool absolutely love me some mel reed uh like i said i think she's just one of the most authentic people um she's funny she's always got something to say and uh if if you're looking for somebody to root for in the, in the game of golf, she should definitely be on your list. Uh, Colonial last week, Jason Kokrak gets his second PJ Tour win. What a, what a year he's having. I mean, he's just debut win out in uh, Vegas in the wraparound 2021 and then wins again on an on a iconic hard golf course. Jason hits the golf ball a long way, wins by two over Jordan Spieth. The Jordan Spieth orbit and world in full flow last week. He was on TV a lot. You know, the 30-minute conversations before every shot with Michael Greller, always really interesting to listen to. I, I think Jordan's one of the 
the most fascinating people to watch because it's like you're 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 watching you're like a window into kind of who he is as a person and uh listen he's been struggling but he has really turned it around he got a win in san antonio had a good chance took a one-shot lead into the final round and i think he was very very candid at the end of his his round he said listen I had no clue where the golf ball was going today. And that's one of the things I think everybody loves about Jordan. You're always going to get, you know, a lot of honesty. But I think for everybody that struggled with their golf swing and their golf game, you can and you rarely do you get an opportunity to kind of have something in common with the best players in the world. But Jordan has been struggling and, and he has really turned it around. I think he and Cameron McCormick, his instructor, have done an amazing job. And when everybody was panicking, they just kind of stuck to their guns and kind of kind of listened to what they were doing and didn't have a lot of white noise. And uh, I think Jordan, I think Jordan's back. I think we're going to continue to see Jordan play well. I think we're going to continue to see Jordan have opportunities to win golf tournaments. Um, And to me, he's one of the most compelling people in the sport. Speaking of compelling people, first week back for Phil Mickelson after his amazing, historic, crazy win at the PGA at Kiowa Island. Didn't make the cut, but... um, we're going to have Dave Phillips, who is the co-founder of the Titleist Performance Institute, coaches John Rahm, one of Phil's best friends. We're going to do a little bonus podcast that's going to drop on Friday, and he's going to be talking about the Phil world. He's going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff, the distance debate, things that you can do to help your game get better. But I think golf's in a great place. I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on right now, and we've got a couple more majors. We've got the FedEx and we are into the summer. So we're going to be dropping episodes of Off Course with Claude Harmon every Wednesday. So check it out wherever you get your podcasts.